Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from Palm Sunday. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you to Valley Brook here on this Palm Sunday, as well as to those folks who are joining us online. We're glad you're here. We're glad that you've decided to worship with us today, and we hope that you'll come back and worship with us again. Now, as it's been mentioned several times today, today is Palm Sunday, and in the church calendar, the the Christian calendar, uh, this is an important day for followers of Jesus. And uh, it's not as important as Easter, but I'll tell you how we can tell it's important because of this. When you read the Gospels, the four stories of the history of Jesus' life on earth, all four of them mention Palm Sunday and talk about it. And we see that followers of Jesus around the world today will be reading those same stories They'll be gathering. Some of them will actually even be imitating what happened that day. They'll bring in palm branches into their services. They'll wave them. They'll lay them down on the floor just as as happened that day. And so uh, it's important that we understand that because as we look at the story of Palm Sunday, we recognize that what Jesus did was vitally important, what he was communicating And it has some questions that it asks of us. So let me read to you uh, the first part of the Gospel of John where it talks about Palm Sunday. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it was written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. So while one can read this event quickly, there is a lot of significant things that you don't understand unless you dig into this. And those things have implications for us. And I want to help you understand those things today. So first, John tells us that there was a great crowd that had come to the festival. Now, the festival that he is talking about is the Passover festival. In Judaism, there are three really important festivals, and an observant Jew would be required on those three festival days to actually come into Jerusalem to celebrate them and worship God at the temple that was in Jerusalem. And Passover was one of those days. And and people wouldn't just come on that day because they would have to travel a long way. And so they would come in and uh, they would be there for days. And so this is five days before the actual celebration of Passover. And, And historians will say this, you know, Jerusalem was in the first century, it was roughly a city of about 50,000 people. But at Passover, the most important festival celebration, the population would swell to over 100,000, maybe 120,000. In fact, so many people that the city itself couldn't contain it. And so people would be camping out on the hills and the valleys around the city. And with that, 
they would bring a little bit of tension about what was going on and, and with all of those people and all of the demands of those people. Now, John's gospel, in it we see that Palm Sunday is preceded by something that's really significant. Jesus has raised a man from the dead. His name is Lazarus. And John mentions that the crowd had witnessed this miracle. And they continued to spread the word about what Jesus did. And because of that, many people heard about that miracle. And they saw it as a sign. And so they went out to see Jesus. They wanted to meet Jesus. They were hoping to see another miracle, to see a, another sign. And so that explains also part of this swelling of people that were coming to see Jesus on that day. Those people came with an expectation. They came with an expectation of who they thought Jesus was and what they wanted Jesus to do and to be. So uh, as you think about who those people wanted Jesus to be, let me ask you this question. Who do you want Jesus to be? Who do you want Jesus to be? So, so let me set the context by reading verse 12 again. It says, The great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So what happens in the span of the next three verses is really important to our understanding about who Jesus is. Now first... We see that the crowd did something that we think of as just a simple way to honor Jesus. Sort of like rolling out the red carpet that you might do for a visiting dignitary or a very important person. Uh, they didn't roll out a red carpet, but uh, in John's gospel they said they cut down palm branches and went out to meet him. And the other gospels that said they took palm branches and they even took their coats, their cloaks, and laid them down for him to ride the donkey in on. Now... Bible scholars point something out about palm branches that you and I really wouldn't know here in the 21st century. For Jewish people in the first century, the palm branch had become a national symbol for Israel after the Hasmonean revolt. It symbolized to people Israel's independence. And so a palm branch was not just a palm branch. It was a political statement. Let me explain just a little bit about this. So in the, in the second century before Christ, Antiochus Epiphanes was the king of the Seleucid Empire, which included Israel and Jerusalem. And his goal was to force everyone in his empire to embrace the ways of Greek culture and of Greek religion. So that means when he came into Jerusalem and took it by force, he made everyone stop the practices of Judaism. He defiled the temple by erecting a pagan idol in there on the altar. But in 167 BC, a Jewish man named Matthias and his family were being forced by some of Antiochus's officers to make sacrifices to the pagan gods. And in his anger, he rebelled and he killed the officers and he tore down the pagan altar and the Hasmonean revolt was begun. After Matthias's death, his son Judas Maccabeus rallied the Jewish forces and, and they defeated the Seleucid army and they liberated Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Then Judas cleansed the temple from the pagan defilement and restored all of the worship practices and the observances of Judaism. Now, 
This is so significant that today, people who, are, who practice Judaism celebrate this because the day the temple was, was actually cleansed so that Jews could worship there again is December 25th. And that is called the celebration of Hanukkah. So if you have Jewish friends, you may recognize that. But here's the big picture. Uh, on that day, the, uh, that, the identity, the, the national independence of, of Judaism was born. And the symbol for that became a palm branch. So the palm branches that were rolled out for Jesus as a red carpet had political overtones. Many in the, in the crowd would have recognized that as, as well as many who wanted Israel's Messiah, the one who would come and, and save Israel. They wanted him to be a leader in the way of Matthias and Judas and rally Israel to oust the Roman occupiers who were oppressing the people. To many in that crowd, as it grew and it grew and it grew, the palm branches were protest signs against Rome, that, and they carried a political message. They wanted Jesus to be a leader who would identify with their political views and with their hopes. But there wasn't just political positioning going on here. There was also a, a militaristic hopes that were being put forth about this king. So earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and it tells us right there in Scripture that the people who witnessed that miracle wanted to force Jesus to be king. So this is not a new idea. So what happened on that first Palm Sunday is often referred to as a triumphal entry. Now, triumphal entries were common in the ancient world. The conquering hero or the conquering king would return to the city, bringing the spoils of the battles and the stories of conquest that imagery for the people on that first Palm Sunday would not be missed. Greek-speaking audiences on the eastern edge of the Roman Empire would understand that this was ripe with militaristic implications. When, when John said the crowd went out to meet him, that, that's a common expression used for cities for a returning triumphant king. And in the Jewish context, when they said Hosanna, it was a greeting that literally meant uh, save us. And so they were greeting their incoming king saying, save us. So by what the people said, it was clear that some of them wanted Jesus to be this king who would save them. And remember what else they said. Not only did they say Hosanna, but they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting a Psalm 118, but then they go on and they say, blessed is the king of Israel. So uh, we see this coming directly out of a Psalm where it says, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and people would understand that. But, but John adds that last phrase that the people were saying, blessed is the king of Israel. The people are crying out for a monarch a king to liberate them. Like David was a warrior king and liberated Israel from their enemies, now they want a Messiah king who will liberate them from their enemies, who will defeat Rome and, and allow them to no longer live under that oppressive military occupation. Some scholars even point out 
and speculate that the reason that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus wasn't for the 30 pieces of silver that he was given, but rather it was because Jesus was seen as a Messiah that would lead a military revolt, and Judas wanted to tip his hand. He wanted to force Jesus to go ahead and start the rebellion. So, Jesus was aware of all of these political and militaristic desires for Israel, and he knew that the kingdom of God was neither a political kingdom nor a military kingdom. So, John tells us that Jesus made a decision that was both prophetic and would also make a defining statement. John writes this, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, and as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So, since Jesus is all-knowing, and he knew the scripture, he knew it would be known by this audience, and he knew that riding on a donkey would send a clear message. The message of who he really was. The message would be that he would be the fulfillment of this prophetic word about a king who rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so he fulfills that prophecy by riding the donkey into town. And he sends a very clear message. And the message was not that he was going to be a political king. It was not that he was going to be a conquering military king. Military kings would ride into, uh, on their war horses when they were coming in after they had won a battle. They would come and they would tell the community that they were large and that they were in charge. But that's not how Jesus comes in. Jesus on that first Palm Sunday, on his triumphal entry, wasn't sending a message that he was a political leader or a new conquering king. He was sending a message that was foreshadowing the coming triumph over sin and over death. And the peace that that would bring for all who would believe in him. In other words, in his own words, Jesus said that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when, when Jesus fulfilled the prophecy from Zechariah about the king coming in to Jerusalem riding on a donkey, I'm not sure everybody understood that moment because John tells us that at first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. But you and I, we, we have 20-20 hindsight. We understand who Jesus is and we understand how Jesus fulfilled many prophecies and specifically this one. We also know that Jesus didn't come to earth to be a political leader. He didn't come to earth to be a military leader. He came to earth to be who God wanted him to be. And when he rode that donkey and not a war horse, he was saying, I don't come with military power and might. I come in peace. Because kings who would ride in to a town, a village, a city that they had conquered, who wanted to be kind and loving would not ride a war horse. They would ride in on a donkey. And so he wanted people to know that he came to be a king who brought peace. Now the reality is people wanted to make Jesus who they wanted him to be. And that should make all of us pause 
and ask ourselves, who am I trying to make Jesus to be in my life, in this world? Jesus came to save us so that we could be a part of God's kingdom where he is our Lord, our Lord of Lords, as the Bible says. So we have to ask ourselves, uh, are we accepting him as the Lord of our life or are we trying to make him into something or someone that he is not? Now, think this through. Some people uh, want to make Jesus part of their political views. But, but Jesus didn't come to be the chairperson of a political party. He came to show us God's way as the only way. Some people want to make Jesus into their genie in a bottle who they can turn to fix their problems. But Jesus didn't come to be our personal fixer. Some people want to make Jesus part of the philosophy of the way they live. But Jesus didn't come so that we could philosophize about life. He came so that we could live the life that he had for us to the fullest. Some people want, to make, want Jesus to make them healthy and wealthy, but Jesus didn't come to build our individual kingdoms. He came to build the kingdom of God. So let me ask you, who is Jesus to you? Is he the savior of the world? Is he the Lord of your life? Or have you tried to make him into something else or someone else that he's not? When I ask you, who is Jesus in your life? Is he your Lord of Lords? If that makes you afraid, let me give you something that John tells us. Scholars point out when they read this passage in, in John that uh, John quoted the prophecy from Zechariah that you can read, but he didn't quote it exactly as it's written in the book of the prophets. Zechariah calls Jerusalem the daughter of Zion, so does John, but he tells the people to rejoice and to shout. But John doesn't include rejoicing and shouting. Instead, he says, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. I, I find that command to not be afraid very helpful for us as we consider who Jesus is supposed to be in our lives, our Lord of lords, the one who's in charge of our lives, the one that we give all of our faith and obedience to. John says, don't be afraid. So don't be afraid to let Jesus be the Lord of your life. He gives you peace. Don't be afraid. Let him be the Lord of all in your life. Now the story of Palm Sunday goes on, and it, and it raises another question. So, so let me ask you this question. What will you give your Lord? If Jesus is your Lord of Lord, what will you give the Lord of Lords? Now, as I mentioned earlier, Palm Sunday is included in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's look at a part that's included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but not in John. And, and I believe that it has implications for us today. So in the Gospel of Mark, this is what we read. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. 
I don't know about you, but that command raises some questions if I was those disciples. It's like, um, how does Jesus know there's going to be a donkey there, a, a colt? And if I do go there and I untie that donkey and take it, is somebody going to come out and arrest me or, or beat me up? Uh, you know, but Jesus gives them the key to obtaining this donkey. He says, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. So the disciples go into the town. They find the young donkey. They untie it. The owners ask what they're doing. They answer just like Jesus told them to answer, and they let them go with this donkey's colt. Now, how do we explain what happened here? Pastor Kevin Miller writes, you know, if you study the Bible, commentaries, uh, liberal commentators will say, well, you know, Jesus earlier in the week went into that village. He had a private conversation with the owners of that cult and he arranged the details. Uh, Conservative commentators will say, no, somehow Jesus had divine knowledge. He had a supernatural knowledge of the situation and he knew that donkey was going to be there, and he knew that those people would allow the disciples to take it. Well, that might have some truth on either side of that, but uh, Miller writes this. I think both interpretations are possible, but I'll tell you why I think that it doesn't read like Jesus went ahead the week before and made the arrangements all together. Think about this. One is that the owners were expecting somebody to come and pick up the donkey. If they were expecting that, why would they demand, what are you doing untying the donkey? They would have been like, oh, you must be from Jesus. Okay, all right, well, we, he arranged that, but that's not what they say. All right? There's this sense of surprise when you read the story. First of all, there, there's way more detail than you would expect about a donkey. And in Luke's version, he even goes as far as to include the line, so they went and found the colt just as Jesus said. As though the disciples like, whoa, he said this would happen. How did he know? So I think what's going on here is that Jesus is showing us something about who he is, that he truly is the Lord of Lords, that he's the Lord of all things and that he knows all things and that he knew this would happen. You know, as our King and our Lord, we understand that he's all-knowing, that he's omniscient. We also know that he has the right to all things for his followers. And so uh, think about this. In, in the first century, oftentimes soldiers, generals, and kings and queens, they would commandeer things from their people. They would basically say, I want that. I'm going to take it. Um, so uh, people were used to people commandeering those things. We read about it in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus said, listen, if a soldier tells you uh, to carry his pack, don't take it one mile Take it two miles. In other words, soldiers could, it was actually part of the law, could conscript, commandeer a common person to carry their backpack for them for a mile. They could legally do that. And Jesus said, of course, don't carry it one mile, carry it two miles. But, but here's the idea. They understood people could commandeer things. 
In the uh, Old Testament, we read about King Ahab. He saw a vineyard and he thought it was really amazing. He tries to go and buy it, but the owner won't sell it. And so what does he do? Well, he and his wife conspire to have the murder, to have the owner murdered, and then they just take the land. But here we have Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yes, he does commandeer something because he says the Lord needs it. That's the purpose. But what else does he say? I'll send it back shortly. He's a different kind of king. Now let's look a little bit at that phrase, the Lord needs it. Because when you think about it, when you ponder the idea that the Son of God needs something, that the Lord of Lords needs something, it's sort of like an oxymoron, isn't it? The God of the universe needs something. The God who has everything needs something. You know, you know what an oxymoron is? You know, it's when two things are brought together that don't, uh, that don't match. They're opposites like jumbo shrimp. You know, it, it, it's that idea. And so here it is, the, the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who has everything. And, and the Bible actually tells us that, that everything belongs to God, that the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. But here he actually is in need. Jesus has humbled himself so much that he's emptied himself out that he, he doesn't even have a donkey when he needs it. So think about that. How does that apply to us? So, so let's just think about this context, maybe what it would be like in, in uh, 21st century context. So, you know, let's, let's say, so, you know, a donkey was transportation, Okay. Um, a very valuable animal to have. Now, this was a donkey, a colt, um, that had never been ridden. So it was a brand new animal. Um, it wasn't old. It wasn't aged. Uh, it's like uh, having a brand new car. All right? So what if I came to you and said, hey, wow, I love that brand new car you have. Listen, I'm going down to a show in New York later this week. Can, can I borrow your car and just drive it in? It'd be so cool to drive it in, you know? And, and look, I'll be back probably one or two but, but in the morning, but I'll be back. Would you loan it to me? Uh, you go, uh, why don't you take the train? You know, it, um, it's a lot simpler. You won't have to pay parking and, and the, the attendants won't squeeze you into one of those tiny little parking spots where you'll get dings on the door. But really, that, that's what's going on here. Jesus is riding in on this triumphal entry and he's asked to borrow something. And his statement is, the Lord has need of it. If Jesus came to you and said, listen, I need to borrow something. I have need of it. What would you say? Think about this in your own life. What has the Lord been nudging you to make available to him? What does the Lord have need of in your life? Is it your time? Is it your talent? Is it your treasure, your money? And if he says the Lord needs it, will you let him have it? 
Is it something that would use your reputation or your influence for him? But it's impossible that in doing so, you would have your reputation or your influence in, in some way dismissed because you're his follower and now you've gone public with it? Is it your worship? Is he saying, open your heart to me? The Lord has need of it. Is it your obedience? And he says, the Lord has need of it. Now imagine what would happen when Jesus comes to you and says, the Lord has need of it, but I will return it. What will you do? Will you release it? Will you let him have it? You know, when we give things to God, he uses it for his glory. And, and indeed, he, he does return it. He blesses us. You know, you give him your worship and he returns it to you by giving you joy. You give him your obedience and he gives you the peace of righteousness. Anything you give to him, he says that he'll return it to you a, a hundred times uh, what you have in this life and this life. Now, now, don't take that as a prosperity gospel kind of idea. Let's be clear. We're not talking about giving to God to get something back. That's a false philosophy, theology anyway. Even though Jesus told us it is more blessed to give than to receive, we understand that there's a blessing in following Jesus and being obedient to him. So you and I have to make a decision. The Lord's going to come to us and say, I have need of this. Not because he doesn't have other needs, but really, he has need of it because you have a need of it to let him have it. Will you give to him what you're asking? What he's asking you? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. You know, there's two big questions before us today. Who is Jesus in your life? And will you give him what he needs? Who is Jesus in your life? Look, you know, if we make Jesus out to be anything that he's not, that we read about in Scripture, then we've created a false image of Jesus. We've created a false image of the Son of God. We've actually committed idolatry. If we... Make him into something other than the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, then, then we're sinning. So we need to let him be who he is and not try to make him into something that he's not. Now, this is gonna, this is gonna tug because we have passions in our lives that we're, we're passionate about and that we post online about or that we get all fired up about. Jesus wants to be the Lord of all of that because those things come way down the list of important things in our lives when you put Jesus as your Lord of Lords. But he also has need of things from us. And, and this is the paradox. He doesn't need them because he has everything. He knows we need to release them to him so that we can be the fully devoted follower that he calls us to be. So we got those two questions that we've got to answer. You read the story of the 
triumphant entry into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. And you think, oh, it's a cute little story, but it's just ripe with questions for us. Hard questions. Meaning of life questions. So I want to encourage you to answer those questions in a way that honors God. It's going to be hard. And the first ones might just start with, have you told Jesus you believe in him and want to follow him? And, and look, you know, telling Jesus you believe in him and want to follow him isn't the uh, beginning and end to becoming a follower of Jesus. It's actually saying, all right, I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to seek to follow him, even though it's going to go counter to the culture that I live in. So I'm, I'm going to invite you to, to pray this morning. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus or, or maybe you need to make a recommitment because you realize you haven't taken these questions seriously. Or, or maybe there's something you know God's told you he has need of and you've just been going, it's mine. But now you need to say, go ahead and take it. Whatever it is, I'm going to give you room in this prayer time pray. I'm going to start off just giving you the opportunity to, to make a commitment to believe in and follow Jesus. And let me say this, if you do pray that prayer today, please let me know. It's not because uh, I want something from you. It's because I want something for you. I, I want to give you some material that will help you take the next steps of growing in that commitment. So if you would, here in the room and online, would you bow your heads? And let me pray. God, we thank you so much we thank you so much for the fact that you sent Jesus into this world and on that first Palm Sunday as he made his triumphant entry, we realized that he was telling us who he was and is and always will be. And today, we want to accept him as our Lord of Lords. We also realize he was telling us that he has something that he needs from us first and foremost that may be he needs to know that you have turned your life over to him so if that's you I invite you just to pray a prayer and I'm going to give you the words to pray and you can put them in your own words and pray them silently back to God and then I'll close out this prayer time for all of us here's the first phrase dear God I believe in Jesus I believe that he is the Lord of Lords. I believe that he died to pay the price for my sins. I accept his forgiveness. And I know that he rose again from the dead and now I want to follow him. So I commit to following him all the days of my life. Let me continue in this prayer for all of us. So, God, I pray for each one of us that we would come to the place where we say, God, we ask for forgiveness because we've made Jesus into being something that he is not. So forgive us for that sinfulness. And now we want to make him the Lord of Lords each and every day. And God, we know that you need something from us, not because it's something that you want to take away, but it's something that you ultimately want for us. And so we give you our lives. 
whatever you ask for us to do, we want to be a part of your kingdom. We will do it. We will give it to you and we will entrust it to you. And we know that you will use it for your glory. And so, Lord, we make that commitment. We're grateful for your forgiveness. We praise you and we sing the praises of your son, Jesus Christ, in your name. Amen. Please stand. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.